We have a, a guest this morning I, I want to mention. Um, my daughter, my long-lost wayward daughter that's gone off to school. And How many of you, uh, y'all remember when we first came, right? Jordan was graduating, she was about to graduate high school when we first got here. Can you believe that come May she'll be graduating college? Yeah. Yeah. She is... She is, what? You'd have, to, you'd have to tell me, Henry. She's finished seven out of eight semesters, so she'll go back, and, and um, I think it's all, all downhill from here now. She's going to coast, coast into the finish line. So uh, very proud of her, but we've got her home for a few weeks, and uh, excited about that, so y'all pray for us. And we've got, we, oh, we'll have a good time. We're looking forward to it. And we have, we have boyfriend coming in uh, next week, too, so later next week. Um, so it'll be an interesting time around our house. <laughs> I'll be good. I'll be good. Y'all pray for me. All right. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 2. We're going to look again in the Christmas story here found in Luke 2. Uh, I was telling somebody this week, I, I think I was talking with John. I told John, I, I said, you know what, it's hard when you preach the same message four or five times. And there's five or six messages I've done on on Christmas because, I mean, it's just, you know, you know the story. So it's like, well, what are you going to preach now? So it's, it's been challenging, but it's been fun and looking at some different things. So this morning, the title of our message is this that we're going to look at, Christmas Conundrums. And you're all going, all right, what does that mean? All right, I'll try to explain. Here we go. All right, so as we get started here in Luke chapter 2, if, if we go back in history, I'm, I'm going to just give you a quote real quick. Winston Churchill in 1939, when he was asked about the situation with Russia, what's Russia going to do? Are they going to get into the war? Are they going to get in the war on Germany's side? Are they going to get in the war on our side? And here's what Winston, Winston Churchill said. He said, it is a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. It, it, and now, that sounds like it might be a little confusing. What he was saying was that the whole Russia situation, and it's a conundrum. We're not sure. So the word enigma means a person or thing that is mysterious, puzzling, or difficult to understand. And another word for that is this word conundrum. And it's a confusing and difficult problem or question. And uh, a synonym to that would be a contradiction. Now, we're not really looking at contradictions so much as to say this says thing, this, but we see this. That's not really it. But what we're going to look at this morning are some of the things in the Christmas story that are conundrums. Because when you, when you read it, it's a confusing or difficult problem or question. When we look at the, 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 some of the scenarios, some of the things that were going on in the Christmas story and what we see today in this, we go, man, that just, that's, that's hard to get your mind wrapped around. Why we do this, why we do that, why that goes on that way. And so that's what we're looking at this morning is these Christmas conundrums that we find right here in the Christmas story. So Luke chapter 2, and it, became, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or taxed. This census first took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth... 
her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now, the first conundrum we're going to look at this morning is this. It's the, the presence, the presence. Now, Christmas today has become and has been made very much about presence. It's about the presence that we get. It's about the presence that we give. Now, don't get me wrong. I like presents. I enjoy that part of it. As we get closer to Christmas, I always find the closer we get to Christmas, the more generous I get. And, 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 and uh, here's what I love. I don't know about you guys, but I love all the, the fancy wrapping paper and the different looks of that and all the presents on the tree and the way that looks. I mean, it's just a neat look. I like that. But we've made Christmas about presents. We've made it about what I'm going to give, or for most of us, more about what I'm going to get. I can remember as a kid, it was in late fall, we would have the Sears and Roebuck catalog. Anybody remember that? It was about this thick, and we'd have all the pages marked where all the toys were and all that stuff, and we would have a list of in, in August of what we wanted for Christmas. Y'all know, y'all remember, that was the glory days when that book came out, man, that was the best. But it's become about presence. But, but Christmas is about presence, spelled P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, where we've made it about P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. It's all about His presence. It's about when God became man. Luke 2, chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David uh, a Savior, who is Christ our Lord. Now, isn't it amazing that, that as we celebrate Jesus' birthday, it's you and I are the ones who get all the gifts. If we... You know, if we're not careful, Christmas Day can quickly come and go and, and we've thought more about gifts and we haven't stopped and paused and reflected upon Christ, remember Jesus, the real gift of Christmas, and the reason we have Christmas. As Pastor Aaron said, his name is in the holiday. He should be the center of everything that we do this time of year. And yet we get so distracted with the lights and the tinsel and all of the fancy things and the giving and the getting of gifts and it becomes a chaotic, crazy time. We talked about a few weeks ago the chaos associated with this time of year. We have to be careful that we make much of Jesus because Christmas is about His presence. Christmas is not about the gifts, the presence. Christmas is about Christ's presence in, on this earth, his presence with us on this earth. Perhaps the most remarkable and unlikely truth in all of history is that God became man. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Why did he do what he did? Because God so loved the world. What did he do? He gave his only begotten son. That gift, the greatest gift ever, ever given, the reason we've turned Christmas into a gift-giving time is because God gave, and what he gave was the greatest, most valuable gift that could ever be given. He gave his son, Jesus that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Through him, he gave the gift of eternal life. Jesus didn't come into the world to receive presents from us, but to, but to give us the gift of eternal life. And he is the greatest gift ever. Jesus is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love to just sing that and say that and meditate upon that. The fact that God became man. 
That's what this is all about as we reflect on this. That babe in a manger, that was God in flesh. Without his presence, listen, without his presence in the flesh, he could not have given us the present of eternal life. We needed that. He gave us exactly what we needed. He did that because he loved us. God so loved us, it was his plan. Christ so loved God, he obeyed the, the, God's command. He obeyed the Father's command. And, and he so loved us that he was willing to lay down the glories of heaven and come and be born in a lowly manger. Live a, a life on this earth as a human. You're God. And he took on human skin, human flesh. He became one of us, so that he could reach us. We have to remember his presence this year at Christmas. And we should offer him gifts of love and honor for all that he's done for us. Amen? Amen. That's our first conundrum. The second one is this. It's the place. When we look at the place of his birth, um, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over His kingdom. To order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, I thought about, I actually thought about something this morning you know, as we look at the place of Jesus' birth, and I've never heard anybody mention this, and, and, and maybe you have, and, and I'd love to hear it if you have, but my first question is this. Now, first thing is this. If you were God, um, or, or, or if you had the decision, where would you choose for God to be born? Where, where would we... God is going to be born. God is coming and taking on flesh. Where would we choose for him to be born. You know, we would, we would probably choose the finest of hospitals. We might choose the, the, the grandest mansion in the world with the most service, the best physicians, and, and, the, and, the, and the greatest nannies and nurses to care for that child. That might be the way we would think. Now, I thought about something when we talk about, now we, we understand Christ was humble in his whole life, and this he personifies it here. But I thought maybe there's another element to why Christ was born where he was born. Um, what did Satan want to do to Christ? Satan wanted to kill Christ, right? Now, if you're Satan, where would you think God would be born? What's that? In a palace. Right, that's what I think. Because Satan is going to think, because where would Satan be born? If he had a choice, he would have been born in the greatest palace or in the finest hospital with all the finest attendants and all. He would have been born in the most. So I, it just reasons to me that maybe Satan thought that's where Christ will be born. Thinking that Christ thinks like him and Christ, God doesn't think like Satan thinks. So the, the, the thought I had was, you know, the, the, the Lord told Joseph in a dream to, to get Mary and Joseph and the baby, to take him and Mary and the baby, and to flee into Egypt to get away from Herod. Now, Satan was behind that. Herod was going to come and slay all those children under two years old there in Bethlehem. Maybe God in his 
his sovereignty said, we'll show him. And he was born in a man. I don't know. It's just a thought. Just a thought this morning. God chose a small, humble, obscure village called Bethlehem for his son to be born in. Where we would, we would think somewhere nicer, somewhere bigger, somewhere grand. Maybe in Jerusalem, in the finest palace in Jerusalem. But no, God chose Bethlehem. And he chose a stable. or, or, or a, a, It was either a, a stable or a cave. We're not even sure. But he was born there. And, he, and we're not even sure of that. All we know is he was laid in a manger. That's a feed trough. That could have been, it could have been anywhere. We, we've deducted some things from this passage that aren't really there. But he was born in a very humble place. Just a very humble village of Bethlehem. One time a little 12-year-old boy wrote, wrote this letter to God. And he said, Dear God, was there anything special about Bethlehem? Or did you just figure that was as good a place as any to start a franchise? Your friend, Kyle. That, that, that's the, the mind of a child thinking about Bethlehem. Why was Jesus born in little lowly Bethlehem? And uh, it seems like a contradiction. Not only did God choose an obscure village for his son to be born in, but he chose for him to be born in a stable or a cave. And you know, like I said, we don't even know for sure. The only thing we know is he was laid in a manger. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Emmanuel, God with us. Shouldn't he have been born in a better place? You know, shouldn't Jesus have had fine linens and fragrant perfumes instead of torn scraps of, of cloth and the stench of animals? Shouldn't he have been laid in an ivory and gold crib, tucked under sheets of silk and satin? You know, that's, that's, that's what we think for God. Yet, yet such into such humble and meager surroundings, Jesus was born. And he invited and welcomed the shepherds. The lowest in the community. The guys just out tending sheep were invited to come and to celebrate his birth. And I'm sure that he welcomed any who came to see as he welcomes us all today. None are too great and none are too small or insignificant to come to Christ. Jesus came to a place where anyone willing to come could find him. So we have the conundrum there of the, of the place. Number three, we have this conundrum of, of the pine. Think about the pine. Now, for many, Christmas celebrations center around, around the Christmas tree. Now, Raymond, I'm going to ask you a question here. I know you don't do a Christmas tree, do you? Not, you, do a, you do a Christmas palm, don't you? He's done a Christmas palm in the past, which I think I love it. I love it. One ornament, is it like a Charlie Brown palm? Is there little lights on there or something? All right, so it's, it's a palm. I love that. But see, for most of us, it's about a tree, right? We've got some trees up in here, and most of us have a Christmas tree in our home, and, it, and it's an evergreen pine, and maybe it's real, maybe it's artificial. Let me, I'm just curious, how many of you have a real tree? All right, a few, few still have real trees. Most, most today are moving away from that. There was a time it would have been just the opposite. We'd go out and we'd get the real tree. But whether it's a real tree or an artificial tree, we bring it in, we decorate it with lights and ornaments and tinsel and garland, and, and we usually top it off with a star. And, and, but in Christ's nativity, there was no decorated tree. There was no twinkling lights. There was no ornaments or garland. The first Christmas tree would not be placed in its stand for another 33 years. 
And it, it really wasn't a tree. It was just two beams that had been lashed together as the cruelest form and instrument of execution imaginable, all for Jesus. And that first Christmas tree had no ornaments. That first Christmas tree, 33 years after his birth, it didn't have ornaments. The only thing hanging on that tree was our Savior. The first Christmas tree didn't sparkle with lights. It glistened with Christ's blood. 1 Peter 2.4 says that Jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. And we know this, and we've talked about this already in this season, that Jesus was born to die. It was the whole purpose. He, he, came, he came to die. We, we come, we're born in this world, and we know when someone's born in the world, they will die. Jesus came knowing he was born to die. That was the purpose of his life was to die, to take our place on the cross. And on that cross, he took the penalty of our sins, and he died in our stead. Praise God. Amen. And because of his death on the cross, we can have eternal life, forgiveness of sins, and a personal and real relationship with the living God. The celebration of Christ's birth at Christmas is forever linked to his death and his resurrection, which we remember every Resurrection Sunday, which here we really remember every Sunday. That's the reason we come together is because of Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday's Resurrection Sunday as we worship our risen Savior. You know, we would not be celebrating his birth every December if he had not truly died on that cross and physically risen from the grave on that first resurrection Sunday. We wouldn't. We wouldn't be here today talking about Jesus Christ who died for us if he did not rise from the dead. We celebrate more than a child's birth. We rejoice in the coming of God's one and only son, born to die on a tree in our place. So we have this conundrum of the tree that we hang and the tree that he hung on. Conundrum number four is the person. There in Bethlehem stable, Jesus was born as the son of man, yet he was also the son of God. He entered the world just as you and I entered the world. He was born of a woman. Every one of us was born of a woman. He was Mary's son. He hungered and thirsted and ate and drank and worked and played and laughed and cried and hurt and bled and prayed and lived and died as a man. This infant child was totally dependent upon his parents for, for care, for food and protection like any other child. This helpless baby was also the creator of the universe and, and through whom the world and all the creation was and is sustained. As all babies do, Jesus would have, would have been heard crying, right? So even from an early age, they're, they're training. They're, there's training. It's, it's, it begins early. And they do a pretty good job of that, training us. Amen? Kristen, has he got you trained yet? Yeah, thumbs up. He, he, the babies, babies figure that out. They, they train. So they're crying, and even Jesus would have been crying, trying to communicate his needs to his parents, causing Mary to ask the question and to wonder, you know, is he hungry? Is, is, he, is he tired? Does he need to be changed? Just as any mother would wonder with the crying of a child. This is Jesus. Yet Jesus is the Word of God made flesh. The one who spoke the entire universe into existence would, as a child, have to learn to talk, and to walk. That's amazing. You know, it's not that, well, he was God, so he came out, you know, and 
Boom, instant he was a grown man. He knew all the languages. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He studied the scriptures just like every other child. He, he, this, this is God in flesh, all God, all person. Jesus was like every other child in his humanness because he was 100% human. But he was also unlike any other child ever born because he was also 100% God. The child who grew in stature like any other human child is also the omnipotent God Almighty. Jesus grew in knowledge on earth, but he was and is at the same time the omniscient, all-knowing God. Jesus is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He he is God incarnate, God in human flesh. Jesus is the God-man, fully God and fully man. As Churchill said, it is a riddle wrapped in a mystery. Inside an enigma. To understand that is a conundrum. To get our minds wrapped around who Jesus was. That he was fully man. He wasn't 50% man and 50% God. He was 100% man and 100% God. He was fully and totally both at the same time. The Bible makes it clear, Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So scripture tells us he was God, fully God in flesh. And you and I can no more understand this than an ant uh, ant can understand you and I. It's a conundrum to fully grasp and understand that. But listen, it's truth and it's revealed to us in the word of God. Amen? Amen? Now, I'm going to close. Wow. Jordan, go back on my desk. I've got three more pages I left back there. No. Now, we're going, to, we're going to wrap this up. Y'all are going to be amazed this morning. It's, it's a whole new pastor. I'm going to close. <laughs> that amazes even me. All right, so we're going to close with the biggest conundrum of all, and it's twofold. First is, is this. We look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen, that Christ would come to earth to live among us, that he would live a sinless life and die on a cross for our sin, And that he would make the gift of salvation available to anyone who would receive him. Listen, and yet there are those who did not, those who have not, and those who will not receive him. That's the conundrum. With this great gift that has been offered, the greatest gift, the, the, the thing you cannot do yourself. There's no way you can ever redeem yourself spiritually. There's no way to work your way to heaven. There's nothing you can do. Jesus came and did it all. Amen. He paid the full price. He became sin for us. He who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And there are those who will not receive him. Many turn away from him. Just as we imagine the innkeeper, you know, turning away from Christ in the Christmas story. And this is the greatest conundrum of all. Hebrews 2, 3 says that uh, we shall, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
Well, there is no escaping. This is the only hope of salvation. There is only one way to heaven. It's not as many want to tell you today that many roads lead to heaven. There's a lot of ways. You know, and it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Hey, I'm going to get there the golden arches way. You know, I'm going to, I'm, I believe that going to McDonald's and eating a hamburger a day will get me to heaven. I'm very sincere in my belief. And you'll be sincerely in hell because that is not the way to heaven. There's one way to heaven, only one. See, see, there's comforting words there in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Those are comforting words. That's a great promise in the word of God. He sent his son. He paid the price. He did everything that needed to be done. It is done. Now, you believe. You believe. I've done all the work. No, well, well, God, how many push-ups should I do to to work my way there? Can I do a million push-ups for you? Knock yourself out, but it ain't going to get you to heaven. There's one way to heaven. It is believing in Him. And if we believe in Him, the Bible says we shall not perish. That perish is is dying without I'm getting ahead of myself. So how comforting it is for for us to know that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins. And by trusting in him as our savior, we can have eternal life. It's there. That's what Christmas is about. It's what these trees, we, we put all this up and we decorate and it looks great. But it ain't about that stuff. It's about a savior. It's about Jesus coming and dying for us. And for everyone in this room, salvation has been made available. I totally reject, I totally reject that God has predestined some to hell. That you are out there and there's no hope in you. I reject that. I do not believe scripture teaches that one bit. It says whosoever will. And it's available. And if you'll respond to the gospel, you'll place your faith in Christ. He has done everything and he invites you into a personal relationship with him. Why would you not receive the gift that he's offered you? What a great promise if we believe in him as our savior. But what a grave warning if you turn him away. John 3, 17 and 18 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There are those who will tell you, well, God came and Jesus came and he came to judge us. No, he didn't come to judge you. He didn't come to condemn you. You were already condemned. We were already hopelessly lost in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We had no hope. And God, because he so loved us, sent his son, his only son, to come to this earth and die for us, to die for us, to die for me, to die for you. He took your sin. The debt has been paid. He died for you and he rose again and he offers you eternal life. Why would you reject that? At the end of the chapter in John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus lays out a very clear choice. Believe on him and be saved and have everlasting life, or turn from him 
refuse to repent and trust in him, and you will die in condemnation and will not have everlasting life, but you shall face God's wrath in the judgment. Will you choose Jesus who loves you so much that he died for you, and by doing so, choose life? When the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul just said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he said. And the Philippian jailer believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and was saved, was once for all saved, was gloriously and miraculously saved, not by anything he did. It was solely God's grace, solely through faith. My heart's prayer is that if you have not already, that you'll do that today. You'll respond to the gospel, the good news, that a Savior came. He died for you. He's done everything that needs to be done. The great conundrum, the thing I cannot understand, is why anyone would refuse that gift that has been freely offered. The greatest gift ever. And then we come to the second of these two greatest conundrums, and it's this, and I'm done. That those who have been saved by God's grace do not make a greater effort to share Him with this lost world all around us. If I'm born again, if I've truly been born again, then... then the purpose of my life ought to be to see others. You know, I'm just, I'm just that blind, I'm that blind guy who Jesus gave sight to, and now I want to help every other blind guy and blind girl in the world come to Jesus and have sight. That ought to be what we are as believers. If you've ever received the greatest gift ever given, the Lord Jesus Christ and His salvation, won't you share that gift with those who need to be saved? Pastor Aaron, if you and the team will come. The invitation is simple this morning. The gospel has been presented. God came in flesh, lived among us, died for us, rose from the dead, and offers eternal life. And this morning, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I know this. Under the word of God, I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you right now. And if that's you this morning, don't refuse what God is saying to you. Don't refuse what he's offered to you. Don't refuse uh, and don't don't push him away. That that pounding of your chest, your heart pounding, is, is the Holy Spirit convicting you and telling you, you need to be born again. I've done all the work. I did it for you. And, and I want to be your Savior. But you have to respond. And this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, I invite you to step out. When we, when we will stand to sing in a moment, we'll have a time of invitation. I invite you to step out and come down here and let one of us take the, take the Word of God and just introduce you to Christ this morning. Christian, when was the last time You shared the gospel 
with someone? Now you don't have to answer. It's, it's, it's for you to think about. You know, a great thing that we could give the Lord this morning as believers is a recommitment to Him that I'm going to be a, a witness for you. That I'm going to share my faith this year. That I'm going to look for, I'm going to be very intentional looking for opportunities to tell people about Jesus. Today would be a great day to offer that gift to the Lord of, of you, yourself, me. Lord, here I am. Here I am. Use me. Father, I pray as we have this time of invitation, this time of reflection on what we've heard this morning, that you'll speak to every heart. You know the need. You know where we are. You know what we are doing or not doing. Lord, I pray that we would just today anew focus ourselves on, on what you really have called us to do. As a believer, I'm called to share my faith. It's not even an optional thing. It's, it, it is a given. It is a, a command. And yet it's so easy. Just like at Christmas, our eyes are on everything going on with Christmas. And we can miss the Christ of Christmas. And every day we're so busy living life that we fail to live for the one who gave us life. We fail to tell others who are not walking in life about the one who can give them life. Father, forgive us for being so busy living life that we, we, we lose sight of the important things, the most important things, that every person is going to have to give an account. The only thing that matters in eternity is not our bank accounts, and not how many children we have, uh, what job we had. All that's going to matter in eternity is what did we do with Jesus. So Father, help us as believers. Maybe today would be a day I, I would give that to you as a gift here at Christmas of, of rededicating myself to living my life for you and sharing this life, this gospel, the message of life with those all around me who need it. So Lord, just move now in our, in our invitation time. You know what needs to be done. I pray, God, you, as you speak to us, we would just respond to you. We'll praise you in Jesus' name we pray.